Hello, I am Dave Moss, and this is the Open Door Philanthropy Podcast. Welcome. I'm sitting here at the Open Gov Hub with Netta Zuddy. Is that a good enough pronunciation? 95%. 95%? Netta Zuddy. Yeah. Neda but nobody Zuddy? ever gets it. So. Zuddy? <laughs> yep, that's right. Yeah. All right. What do they normally say? Uh, I get nada a lot, nada. Which, which is the worst for Spanish speakers because nada means nothing. So I even have a line in my email signature to help people figure out how to pronounce my name. I placed an Atlas Core fellow from Sudan yeah. named Nada, and she did pronounce it. Yeah, nada like yeah, nada. yeah. But I did you ever meet nada. her? No, I didn't. But I have met other Nadas, which confuse people a whole bunch. <laughs> Uh, it actually never it's really funny you both spell your name the same way and it never occurred yeah, to me it, just had it not could actually be a me. different name yeah. no I, it hasn't even occurred to me that you have the same name because yeah. you spell them you pronounce them so differently oh okay and if, and uh, from very different places mm-hmm. and, they're, and I assume different roots well actually maybe not maybe I guess not. it's Arabic and yeah, Persian is probably Arabic Sudan as well speak Arabic yeah so, <laughs> then, very, oh, who knows I I was the one who warned you not to I know this. you definitely should not okay uh, I can tell listening to these things Got it. don't touch the don't touch the table. So the, uh, we'll try not to have too many rules today. Don't touch the don't touch the table. Don't touch the table as well. <laughs> cool. Uh, so um, where'd you grow up? Uh, so I was born and raised uh, near Detroit in the suburbs, uh, a place the called suburbs. Rochester Hills, Michigan. Uh, Sounds nice. Is it nice? It is nice. It's about thirty minutes north of Detroit. Um, uh, Chrysler headquarters, for example, is uh, just in our backyard. So basically, everyone I knew growing up. Um, their parents were somehow affiliated with the auto industry. Um, my parents are professors uh, like yours, I know, um, who teach engineering. But basically, yeah, I grew up in a suburb of Detroit, um, a really kind of comfortable upbringing, um, but a pretty typical, I would say, and homogenous kind of white, pretty white, upper middle class type of uh, suburb. So, yeah, I had a lot of uh, privilege from that growing up, but also felt a little bit different as um, as an Egyptian, as a Muslim. And, and so, you know. Uh, as I understand, there is a, um, so where I'm from, there is not a very large uh, Arabic-speaking population. Yep. Um, or at least there wasn't, I haven't been there in a while, maybe there is now. Uh, but I believe there is in Detroit. Yeah, so it's interesting because uh, there's a city called Dearborn, just outside of Detroit, uh, which has the largest um, uh, population of Arabs outside of the Middle East, actually. So it's a really interesting community. Um, uh, not where I grew up. Like where I grew up was just like a very kind of typical pretty white suburb uh, where a lot of us kids of immigrants were friends with each other. So I, you know, there were times where I felt like I stood out a little bit because of my name or because of the religion that we practiced. Um, but when I became older in college, I would visit Dearborn sometimes um, and uh, started to appreciate the community there. But, uh, you know, my, my family is from Egypt originally and most of the Arabs in Dearborn are uh, from places like Syria, Iraq. Um, and uh, it's a little bit of a, um, yeah, just different mm. from my upbringing, yes. but a cool place to, to be close to. <laughs> the, so do you speak Arabic? Did you I do, speaking? yeah. So I grew up speaking a mix of uh, like Egyptian Arabic and English at home. Um, but then when I got to college, I really wanted to become fluent uh, for personal reasons and professional reasons. Um, so I, I wish my parents forced us to only speak Arabic at home. They didn't. Um, I learned a lot still growing up at home, you know, speaking Arabic um and listening Arabic even more at home. But then in college, I, I studied it and then moved overseas uh, as part of my studies to really become fluent. Um, so your parents were from uh, Egypt, Egypt from and Cairo, they were yeah. engineers Yes, uh, who became engineering professors. professors exactly. Uh, in de- where, uh, so uh, in Detroit, in Michigan, yeah, um, so, yeah. would have been training people who build cars mostly basically and still do. Yeah. I, I don't know if either of them will ever retire. Cause were they, they at, uh, they what is it jobs. called? General Motors. Um, my grandfather yeah. was in the um, automobile industry, and there's this, it's now called Kettering University, yes, but it was... Yes, that's in Flint, yeah. Uh, so not too far from where we are, but they both teach at Oakland University, okay. uh, which actually started as a campus of Michigan State a long time ago and is now um, independent and growing. Uh, and that's where you went. You're a Spartan. Uh, I went, yes, exactly. I went to MSU, Michigan State. I'm a Spartan, uh, yeah. Uh, very good. And then, uh, and then you, um, and you studied... Arabic there. What else did yes, you study? I studied Arabic and uh, international relations. You didn't want to be um, an engineer? No, I know. So that was my struggle growing up for sure. Um, I have two older sisters um, and all of us are really good at science and we really like science. So both of them went into the sciences like my parents. Um, but I was kind of the black sheep because I, I found myself more interested in social sciences basically than the hard sciences. So I do feel like 
for many years growing up, I kind of had to prove to my parents that just because I'm smart and good at hard sciences doesn't mean that, you know, I can't pursue my passions, which have to do more with like politics and social science. Um, I, I still remember, maybe you would appreciate this, but uh, in seventh grade, my favorite class was this world history class. And I just fell in love with like, yeah, history and, uh, and so many different things. Um, so I came home one day and told my parents, I figured it out, you know, when I want to, when I grow up, I want to become a history professor. Um, and even then they told me like, you know, history professors are kind of paid the least on the totem pole of, of professors and, and maybe, you know, there's not as much kind of cachet sometimes with that. And, and so I felt like, um, again, hmm. they, they just didn't have as much exposure to that because growing up in Egypt, you know, the smartest people become they go into medicine and they go into engineering basically and then the people with lower scores have to go into the social sciences so i think for a lot of kids of immigrants like me you know our parents come with that mentality um but i've i've definitely i'm proud that over the years i was able to show them like i can actually really excel in these fields and um you know and still have a, a great career um even if i'm not in kind of the traditional hard sciences <laughs> it's very interesting to yeah. me there's a few things in there to um unpack yeah and i'd like to do that now yeah so i grew up uh around a certain level of arbitrary academic snobbery <laughs> as well sure um i think objectively we can say that the engineering is not more valuable than right. history um and and, and the, the opposite is true yeah um and in fact um uh, we do need engineers of, and of course <laughs> and and let me just to, to my parents and i believe it yeah, probably is true that the that engineering engineering professors are probably just more likely to have patents and like <laughs> have real world things but uh, there are plenty of history professors who publish books and make plenty of money off of that as well so yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and in fact we um, we are still a fairly literate nation um, history nonfiction is a, is a large selling category of book i have a my father is a history professor yeah <laughs> yeah no i know and, and some of those books do some they, they don't some of them <laughs> like they were only sold to like people taking his class so we're forced sure. to buy <laughs> but those that's books. Something. Uh, but others, but there are definitely like of rate we are um, we, we um, do buy a lot of books in this country. Yeah, yeah. Um, but and, that's the it's yeah. a it's a, a very uh, so I have a cousin who's an engineer. Mm -hmm. right? and I remember one time he was he was talking to um, I think yeah he was talking to my father about like the engineering department at his school and how they all sort of look down on like the social sciences right, there right. or whatever. Right, and, and he's and, and my father just like listens to him and he's like being polite and he's like you sure do talk about us a lot. <laughs> right, exactly. I don't remember ever talking about the engineering department with my with my fellow history sure, professors. Yeah, yeah. There's always going to be some you know some of that politics, but no. To my parents' credit, like they definitely they you know they love pursuit of knowledge and in all of its forms. I think honestly, just as immigrants who made such a big sacrifice to give us a comfortable upbringing, like they didn't want me to to feel like, you know, that I was, uh, yeah, like potentially going down a path that would make it hard for me just to have a decent well-being and, and stuff. But again, I definitely, that was a struggle, I would say, when I was much younger, but I, I know that they're super proud of me it's and very, everything I I've accomplished. I think there's probably so. like, there's probably a hundred different sets of assumptions around yeah. which, uh, and they're just entirely arbitrary sets of assumptions around like which disciplines you should go into, right? Yeah. I think very standard, right? The doctor, lawyer, right? There are a lot of folks in my fa in my family, right, who mm -hmm. really only understand um, like uh, prof professions and trades that that like are widely held by other people. Yeah. As a result, I am very confusing exactly. to these people. Yeah. Right. I think like founded a nonprofit, runs a nonprofit now is like the, the closest they've ever come. Right. Right to understanding what I do here. Right. Because yeah. um, I've all you know, it's a, and I've always been the sort that I never wanted to make it easy. Mm -hmm. Right. But like they are like there's an engineer. There's a psychiatrist. Exactly, yeah. There's a, there's a, there, then the, my grandfather was a dentist, right? Mm -hmm. And there's a, there's a, she's an account, my cousin's an accountant. And, right. Uh, These are kind of known professions, yeah. Right. And, my, and, um, and, I, and, and so, and I do remember, and I've seen it, um, and I've talked to my uncle about this as well. My, so my um, uncle has a um, uh, MBA and JD from Harvard, mm -hmm. which is fairly impressive. Right. He's a fairly <laughs> impressive degree student. Yeah. Right? My mother has uh, MA. And um, MPhil and a PhD from Yale University, mm -hmm. right? And I think basically to, to the vast majority of the earth, oh, wow, two very right. just two well, very well educated people. Right? In my mother's mind, right, uh, my uncle has basically like a, a vocational education, <laughs> okay, right? 
and she, because it's this is it's just how to run a business, how to do a case, right. how to it's do like, like only how to do these practical things, right? And this is entirely art. I'm just yeah, trying exactly. to paraphrase what's going on in her, what right. I think I've picked up from <laughs> what's going on in her mind, right? And so like when I was a theater major in school, yep. uh, right, that was actually she very much understood that. Interesting. Okay. <laughs> right. Well, she writes. She does theater criticism yeah. at work. She understands the field and all of that. Even though you definitely like theater majors don't make a whole lot of money inside of their profession. Yeah. It's actually, it's very interesting. It's been very interesting. Those theater majors do tend to be very successful. Mm-hmm. Um, just not in not theater. Not in theater. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> the ones that do pursue careers in theater make very, 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 very little. Theater is not a real business. Yeah. Yeah. That's <laughs> Generally, true. you're like also doing another job, a real trade, a more understandable trade. Yeah. And such. Yeah. No. Yeah. Um, and, and I think for me, just like in retrospect, I do think that, uh, like, you know, it kind of lit a positive fire for me in terms of really being motivated to hustle and figure out like, like, for example, international relations is one of the most popular majors at any university, right? So, so I knew there was kind of more competition, if you will, in that regard, compared international to relations, yeah, compared to like, you know, electrical engineering or something like it's maybe the bar is lower to enter or something like that. But then I felt like, you know, I just I just felt very eager early on to carve out a niche for myself about like, okay, what particular issues in terms of politics and social you know, social impact do I really care about and how can I distinguish myself? Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, and again, many years later, like my parents have come so far in terms of understanding, yeah, what does it mean to work in the nonprofit industry and, you know, and, and what are different ways to have impact in the world? So I do feel like I've, um, I've kind of proven, you know, proven space for my, myself and um, in my family, but also hopefully I'm kind of laying, you know, laying a path for other people who come from a similar background like me and whose parents just might not even be able to envision what a, a kind of good, stable career in the social sciences could look like because the countries that they come from really deprioritize that type of knowledge, right? So I think that's the bigger issue that yes. <laughs> I hope people can can focus on. Yeah, so. and there is, and there was, uh, so, uh, I mean, there's there's several things going on. There's, um, yeah. there's a generational issue, right? Yeah. The, like, uh, when your parents came, I'm going to guess in the 1970s. 70s, yep. They actually came to Canada first, both did their PhDs there, and then moved to Michigan. Yep. At, um, they got their PhDs in Canada. Yeah. Canadian PhDs. Yes. Yep. 75 cents on the dollar PhDs. <laughs> uh, very polite, well-organized, yeah, well-managed yeah. PhDs. Yes. Right. <laughs> we, and we grew up only 30 minutes from the border with Canada, so I do feel like I have an affinity. Um, yeah, I suppose that's, I suppose you did. Yeah. Um, the, uh, so, uh, but the, um, uh, the American dream was still very much a real concept, right? And that was about, and your kids become very much become doctors, lawyers, and stuff in, exactly. inside the American dream. Yeah, and that's how you, you know, make a better life for your kids that you, you know, sacrifice so much leaving your home country to kind of do. So I think the the, yeah. the the crux of the issue between my uh, my mother and and, uh, and uncle was that basically that she she was the that we had the um, uh, learn she had learned so much she had gone beyond like the practical workforce. Mm-hmm. Right, which is what you sort of do when you get a PhD. You yeah. go to the edge of knowledge and yep. start, and you're using Producing your brain to have thoughts, exactly. thoughts that weren't that have not been had before. Yep. Right, a lawyer can be the best lawyer in the world, but like, and and sometimes I guess they do groundbreaking cases, setting precedent and stuff. But that's not what most sure. the average lawyer does not do. That every single person with a PhD is yeah is, is trying setting, to is setting precedent in exactly. their field. Yeah. Right? and to her, that's she was. That's why it was a that right? makes sense. But there is the absolute complete and total opposite of that uh-huh. and out in some places right that if you're not having a tangible effect on the world in the way that right if you're just having thoughts right right that the, this is how the social sciences get get heavily dismissed yeah and then you should i mean if you really want to get into the weeds here right they're not they're <laughs> not here to defend themselves right but like the they will talk about other social sciences sometimes mm-hmm. in fact like they they have respect for economics okay right yeah uh and um right the and literature, the study of literature and, and like critical literature mm-hmm. reading, but like sociology and anthropology are, are they're very very dismissive yeah. of those fields of study. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> no, there, it's true. We, that's a real issue. Like this hierarchy of knowledge, and I think um, even in, in public policy circles, especially like I did my master's in public policy at the Kennedy School, and like you totally saw that like economics was kind of prioritized over other types of analysis, right? And I, so I think that's problematic. But um, but you know, yes. yeah, I tried to. Well, there are, so one, I, I think it's all types, right? Some people are not going to be able to be, and I think I'd be a terrible engineer. I think I'd be a terrible doctor. Yeah. I think I'd probably be a pretty bad lawyer. <laughs> Me um, too. <laughs> these, um, any kind of um, rules following type of profession, <laughs> uh, I'm not so sure I would do very well at. Yeah. Uh, and I'm sure that like the world's best doctor would be very bad at my job. Right. 
Exactly. You just <laughs> just awful at yeah. it, right? About yeah. as as bad at my job as I would be at like doctoring. Yeah. Um, in fact, I mean, sometimes I can put a Band-Aid on just to love anybody <laughs> else, right? Some of it I do know how to do. Yeah. And he might even be, like, a, a half-decent fundraiser. But the, like, right, when it comes to, like, being a professional at something, mm-hmm. right, I think that the, um, that the, uh, the type of work we do mm-hmm. uh, isn't always um, thought of in the same way as, like, the professionalism of being a doctor. Yeah. I often have to talk to actual doctors about their fundraising. Right. And I found it very difficult for yeah. a long time. Right. They, they're like, we, they, they're like, we wrote this proposal. It's like very clear. We are, our health outcomes are correct. And I'm uh-huh. like, yeah, but I don't understand your proposal because right. it's not in English. It doesn't make yeah, sense to me. Yeah, it's too technical or something, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. And I'm trying to remind them, I'm like, you know, I'm not, I would never go around pretending to be a doctor, right? right? You hear, but uh, society has forced you to, to, to do your own fundraising here, yeah. right? You are yep. pretending to be, you're doing my version a of pretending funny. to be a doctor, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, and you look just as silly as I would look. Um, Right? And, uh, and I and I remind them like I've done just I've just as much training, just as much time. Yeah, exactly. Working on being a good fundraiser as you have done working, and you're a very good doctor. Right? Yeah, and, exactly. And they're like, well, and I can actually quantify that I'm a good fundraiser by like yeah, yeah. listing numbers out loud. Yeah. Right. The uh, but uh, I think you know it's just sort of right. So when it comes to being a doctor, like even people who are not doctors know, right? You go to college first. You, they understand. So you probably even know that you take organic chemistry. Uh-huh. Like you even know some of the like exactly. required courses. You I have had to so take. many friends who were pre med too in college, so I felt like yeah, I was always. And then you have to go to med school, yeah. right? And yep. that's a certain amount of time, and then you have to be like a resident, and I don't know the exact order and everything. Yeah, but yeah. I, I know all of these terms from this profession. I have absolutely nothing to do exactly. with because right? there's there's been count. I've I've been able to watch, you know, <laughs> a, a lot of different television shows. Sure. Right? I know, and I know a lot of the terminology behind being a policeman and being yeah, it's <laughs> and true. Yeah, being yeah. A, a lawyer or a detective. Yeah. Can, can right? you imagine like a nonprofit professionals drama? I don't know what that would look like, but maybe... I imagine it often. Yeah. I mean, I, and I, in fact, you know, I've been uh, people have I've, I've even like worked up um, treatments and that sort of thing. I certainly yeah. think. I mean, the the office was a television show right. and it was true. very popular. Yep. Yep. Right? Uh, and in fact, I would say actually Parks and Rec is very close to what we're talking yeah, about. Yeah. I mean, they worked at the Parks and Recreation Department of right. the government. But the whole and public even, service. And there was a thing. whole season where one of the guys was working at a foundation. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yep. Uh, so Sweetums. Yeah, <laughs> I so remember. No, and they made a lot of the jokes that I that, that are, very, that are highly, I think, uh, the average uh, Parks and Rec viewer probably didn't fully get. Right, all, as They much. made some like very, like, someone worked at a foundation. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, who was in the writer's room because yeah. those were those jokes were very relevant I and mean, yeah. that was nice to see because mm-hmm. oftentimes in media when they represent philanthropy uh, it's very very inaccurate right uh, one of my big uh, one of my, I've mentioned this in the podcast several times I'm a big fan of the Marvel um, mm-hmm. series yeah. right but at one point um, uh, Tony Stark is giving a speech at MIT okay. which is his alma mater in in the canon right yeah. and he comes out and says that the Stark Foundation will be funding all of the MIT students' projects. Okay. Entire, they're fully funded. They're all fully funded now. That sounds great. And, and I'm just like, one, like, you don't, you, even in this, like, mythical universe, sure. you don't have that much money. Yeah, yeah. For <laughs> one. And no one two. does. Everyone at MIT has got a very expensive sure. project. If you go to them and you say, like, I'm going to fully fund this. I know. That's a little. Right? No, I know, I know, like, one or two people yeah. there that could break anyone's bank with yeah, their yeah, project. Yeah, exactly. Ideas, yeah. Right? So that seems like a bit of a stretch. <laughs> Right, but yeah. it's I, the I think there is a general and I, actually that causes real problems, mm-hmm. right? Because there's a lot of people out there who think a Tony Stark type philanthropist right. can, can come just in save the day and, yeah. solve, and solve everyone's problems. Uh, no, I agree. Yeah. And in some case, and in some cases, they probably could, but they, mm-hmm. it's not really how they operate and think and whatever. Yeah. And uh, and like, and you know, I hear a lot of folks are saying, "Oh, well, we know this works. We know this thing is great. Right? We just need the money for it." Yeah. Right? And it's and they have they've seen the inaccurate representations of how fundraising happens. Right? Yeah. If your project was great and it worked, you would have the funding. Exactly. No, you have missed yeah. a huge, the funding part of it, which is a huge, which is a critical, right. you even know it's a critical part of what you right. need, right? It's not, we just need the funding for it. Like, yeah. Well, <laughs> that sounds, sounds like the whole uh, pajamas. Yeah. Right? Um, <laughs> this is um, uh, a very interesting topic, right? Like the, yeah. I think a lot of the folks who listen to the show are either in the, uh, in the middle of their social impact careers, or yep. perhaps thinking about starting a social impact career, and, I, and like I said, uh, the whole population knows how you, how one becomes a doctor. Right. Right. And I don't think they necessarily know how one becomes um, yeah goes, like a social change maker. Totally. Yeah. And we don't even have unified language for it. Yes. Right. I actually, I don't really like saying I run a nonprofit. Right. Uh, you know, people. So one of the, one I, you know in front of this is the fifth year 
of unfunded list. Mm -hmm. And I want to be clear that we have brought in more money than we spent every year. That's awesome. Other, yeah. Well, yeah. if we didn't, <laughs> right? That's <laughs> we you would might have not still negative, be around. We would have negative dollars, <laughs> yeah. and that's no one's extending me lines of credit at the moment. Yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, I imagine, right? The nonprofits that you've you're a managing director mm -hmm. of a nonprofit called. Open GovHub, yep. So wait, are you the managing director so, of So I'm the director Open of Gov Open GovHub, Gov and the Open GovHub is an initiative of Global Integrity, which co-founded the hub, basically. So, And the hub, by the way, is a nonprofit social enterprise, which is fully funded by earned income. So basically, all of the hub's operations um, is funded by the co-working memberships that, you know, uh, our member organizations pay us to provide services to them. So coming here four and a half years ago, it was actually a big shift for me and my career and my kind of worldview on nonprofit work because I was coming from a previous nonprofit, you know, that was kind of funded with traditional grants from a foundation. You came here directly from POMED? Uh, actually, I came here from my master's, uh, okay. uh, but then before that was POMED, the project. Which is the on project on Middle East democracy. democracy. Yes. Fun and I, did, I met you while you were, I don't know if yes, we actually back met, in the I don't day, know if we ever yeah. met in person. But we probably exchanged emails or something. Well, one of the things, yeah. so the, especially when I was at Atlas Core, but also for a while when I was at Public, there are a lot of people who I like know, uh -huh. <laughs> right? And I've done serious work. Like I placed at fellows with you. Yes, exactly. Who came, who, who came halfway across the world? Yeah, like one we, from we Egypt, one from we Syria. We didn't just correspond periodically. Right. <laughs> like we did very. We did. We got a visa for, for a young man from Syria. Yes. Right during a in civil war in Syria. Yep, I remember. Right. So yeah. very. But I don't think we ever actually saw Interacted. each other face to face. Yeah. Um, but like the work that none of that would have happened without the work we were, and we were able to just do it over email. Or exactly, whatever. Even, which is We cool. were probably just like a block away from it. I know. It's a little I'm sure ironic. we had phone calls. <laughs> yeah. And maybe we met. It's, it's I, I don't, very likely. I, I, don't I don't think know. we did act. I, I would yeah. often, I mean, I placed a lot of fellows. I would often, I didn't have to see you face to face. Yeah. Yeah. Fellow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. And we had a great experience. Yeah. Then and now we, I, I also still um, supervise some Alice Core fellows here at the Open Gov Hub. And yes, um, it's it for being. Can't swing a cat here without. <laughs> no, but for being an internationally focused organization, <laughs> it really is a great way for us to bring in international talent without having to worry about the visas and, you know, and the housing. You, and I remember that. a very long time ago, I was, there was a, I, I came to a place called Open Gov Hub. Yep. That was in the American Association of States. Yes, that was the first iteration of the hub. I met with yep. Nathaniel Heller. Is yep. that his He's name? The, yeah, he was the lead founder of the hub, actually. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, very cool. Yeah, and that, exactly. that's I told him about Atlas Core. Now there's always now there's always Atlas Core fellows here, not just serving at the hub, but like but at a lot of the with organizations, many of our organizations that are in exactly. the hub and everything. It's very very neat. Yeah, exactly. I say often like I have long ago spent the money they uh, paid me at <laughs> uh -huh. Atlas Core, uh -huh. but like I still uh, reap dividends from my service there, right? Because yeah, like every yeah. time fellows get placed here, I, I, and like oftentimes um, places where I made the initial relationship are mm -hmm. coming back to host fellows again and again and that's again. That's great. Yeah, right. And it's and it's just it's just. Yeah. It's just very, very nice to see. They like, uh, I imagine doctors, right? They also get paid money, uh, but they get paid in other ways as well. You get to save somebody's life, I imagine. Exactly. That's... There's different ways to have a rewarding <laughs> career. And I'm glad you say that too, because for me personally, like I'm someone who I really care about like leaving a, a positive legacy wherever I go. And I have also been able to think about that in the first couple chapters of my career. Like, uh, you know, the program that I used to run at POMED has like tripled in size. And it's, it's cool every once in a while to kind of check back in and think about, how, how were the seeds that you planted, uh, you know, growing through relationships, growing through different programs mm -hmm. that are trying to achieve so Yes, yeah, so I know. I'm sure the same is for, uh, yeah. I'm sure, so I'm absolutely cool. sure the same is for you. Probably. Yeah, yeah. Um, And um, so um, but just to, to go back a couple steps, right? Sure. So you gave a, like, kind of wonky description of what the hub was a little while ago. Uh -huh. Could you, uh, and it was, I think, probably something you've done to many, many other folks. Uh -huh. Could you do it again? Explain to me. Yeah, of course. Yeah, what, yeah. Just say what yeah. the And you check is. me. Tell me if... if you know, do, yeah, the, yeah. do so, the wonky so version. So starting off, so what is Open Gov? Imagine you're talking to another... You're not being recorded right now. You're I, talking to another, like, non-profit no, in the norm. weed professional. Oh, okay. You're not talking to a normie. You are, you're, like, do the, like, complex <laughs> well, okay. version you're, of what the hub is. Yeah, yeah. So, so we always like to start off by saying Open Gov Hub is a meeting place, first and foremost. So we exist to bring people together who have shared values around the social impact that they want to have in the world defined by this theme of open government. And what does open government mean? It's all about making sure that governments are transparent, they're accountable to their people, and there's active civic engagement and participation, basically. So that's like the world that we envision. Um, and how the Open Gov Hub is trying to make a difference is by providing shared key resources and opportunities for organizations to work together who who are working for open government. So we run a social impact co-working space. That's kind of how we started. Um, but these days we offer more and more 
programs, events, and services to really help our network of nonprofit members be more efficient and effective by sharing resources and working together to have more social impact. Mm-hmm. So, and you it, and Unfunded List is is happily part of our uh, community and has been for yes, over a year now. I am so a member of the Open Gov Hub. More than welcome to share your perspective as well. Yes. <laughs> yeah. um, so the well, I I mean that's that it's a it's a good answer. I don't I want to be I want to be clear. I'm not criticizing. No, the no, answer. it's good. Yeah. I'm thinking about a like societal issue, right? So yeah. if you if you go up, so a doctor can give a version of what do you do right that's as complicated as the one that you just gave right? okay he can go into i'm a hematologist and i sure. right it's all about the like you know, cutting veins open or whatever it is sure. that doctors do yeah right but usually most when people come up to, they they say uh, he says i'm a doctor yeah i work at this hospital right right because that's the, so uh, what is your version of of that yeah if you're talking to a normie right What's the hub? What do you do? For the hub? Yeah. So again, I would say a social impact co-working space, right? And what does a co-working space offer? It provides meeting space. It provides this support. There's already for... a lot more words than the doctor. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> meeting place. That's that's the that's the introduction that we always like to start with, right? So what is a meeting place? It's a place where lots of different people come together. They share ideas. They share resources. So you run an event space. You're an event space manager. So we do events. We do co-working. That we've run through in this. A property manager. Uh, definitely don't I don't like that term right because because again like we're trying to ultimately do a lot of I don't mean to use one property and property manager is not an insulting (laughs) thing no no but that's definitely wonderful property that's definitely not not how I see it (laughs) which I have taught this is something I've talked about on the Regular listeners to the podcast will yeah. know that Dave has an ongoing issue with his property management good company. Good to know. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, but not at work. Yeah, good. Right? You are, if I have an issue with the property that I rent. It's true, right? Because I, that, yeah. You are the one I, or Bruce yeah, yeah, probably, team, the yeah, one yeah. I come uh-huh. to. Yeah. Right? And you do the same things, just you do them better than my property manager at home. Yeah. So so let me say too, like the- Emily, if you're listening. <laughs> there you go. No, but, but basically the whole the whole reason OpenGovHub was created, right, was to try to address two problems. Problem number one is, as you and me, you know, well know, that like funding and resources are always limited for nonprofits and people working in social impact, right? So the idea is let's pool our resources together including our physical space, but also sharing, you know, sharing staff, sharing other resources that can help us each save some time and money and headache because we're accessing Mm. these key resources together, which every organization needs to be successful. So that's the first thing. And then the second thing is, oh, by the way, you know, trying to have any social impact in the world is really complicated, especially if you're talking about government reform, democracy promotion, right? So the idea is that not, you know, one single organization doesn't have all the answers. So let's create a learning environment where we're constantly exchanging ideas, learning together and working together to have more success in these really sticky social problems. Um, so that's the that's the rationale so, <laughs> for uh, why create a meeting place like this. Yeah. Quick question. Yeah. Uh, so have you ever made a political contribution? I yes. have, yes. So when you do, they ask you for occupation and yes. it's an 18 character limit. Yeah, I don't like that question. <laughs> Yeah, me neither. <laughs> what do you uh, What do you put in there? I mean, is it required. It, it sometimes it depends on my mood. But usually, I'll say like nonprofit professional. Nonprofit professional. I yeah. think that's what I it's that's a, what I say. Yeah. Uh, I don't like it because of the most people don't understand. I know. Yeah. Non what nonprofit means. Right. Uh, nonprofits are extremely the, the sector of Diverse. nonprofit uh, is a, is does in fact profit. It brings in yeah. more money than it spends every year, uh-huh. uh, which is not true for for profit companies. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> so certain years they certain they it depends. They, yeah. They can yeah. Go Massively into debt, right? Sure. The, the General Motors is a nonprofit, right? The um... <laughs> in the literal sense, I guess. Yeah, no, I never thought of it that way. <laughs> I mean, what the all it means is my I don't have investors who, who profit. I know what I like to think it means, but, but that yeah. the app. But what I'm trying to explain to folks from my hometown or whatever, and I know, and this causes a real problem because they, they look at the list of professions that right. people have the most respect for, right? It's Doctor, true. Yeah. lawyer, engineer. That's where we started. The ones that they all that they that they can eat that everybody knows what they are. Yeah, but if they really knew what we were doing, I imagine yeah. we might make the list of the of the professions. Yeah. With the, the... No, I know. I think it's a real challenge for so many of us. But I think that the, uh, you know, one piece of advice I, I got in grad school was like, okay, if you want to have a career in quote unquote social impact, you know, you have to be comfortable with some degree of uncertainty because there is mm-hmm. no single path, and you can have social impact in government, you can have social impact in nonprofits, you can have social impact in businesses or hybrids or whatever, right? So I think. People like us, right? Like, I think you're you're more successful if you're comfortable with, you know, navigating and kind of carving out your own path, um, and and then holding yourself accountable to whatever kind, whatever social impact really 
um, is most meaningful to you, right? So, mm-hmm. um, so we uh, we are uh, we're putting together a, uh, an event in a few weeks, the Evaluator Summit. Yeah, and we were for the like main panel, right? Like I I said. So I'm like I said something like we want rock stars for this. I didn't say rock stars. It was like I, I implied that we, this is where we want like we want to put more effort into like finding good okay. panelists for this, right? And somebody came back that was like, you know, you know, I don't think I know anybody famous. And I'm like, and I started thinking about it, like there aren't any nonprofit professionals who are <laughs> famous. If there are, yeah. I actually don't. I probably don't want them to come. Right. right? Whatever they did that made them famous, mm-hmm. it was pro- probably some sort of sellout variety of <laughs> yeah of fame yeah um but like of the of the people who run nonprofits that i've ever that what i well so what i meant was actually like organizational okay. notoriety okay right? so i think there are like familiar names people are probably more like yeah. probably slightly more likely to know open gov hub than uh-huh. meta zodi sure yeah yeah um right uh and i guess it's probably true with large with large brands as well, yeah, right. But you're probably a little bit more likely to know who the CEO is or whatever, or the brand ambassador, the relevant brand ambassadors, okay, uh, than with nonprofits, right? Sure. Like the, the the I think uh, so. The average American probably knows has heard of the United Way. Can't tell you who certainly can't tell yeah, you who yeah. runs the United Way or even runs their local for sure or Red or, Cross or whatever. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, any of those sorts of things. And it's yeah. just sort of interesting to me, right? And then I sort of think of it like, well, who is famous, right? Uh-huh. And then and that made me very, very depressed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that might be a... <laughs> you look at the list of the, like, look at the, you look at the list of the, the 100 nonprofit professionals. Okay. And I do, I think that's probably the, the most accurate, right, short right. version of, <laughs> Term. of what our um, occupation is. Yeah. If you look at the 100 ones that I'm most impressed with, right, mm-hmm. and then you look at uh, the list of 100 most famous people in the U.S., right. you'd want there to be overlap yeah, yeah. on those two lists and, and maybe... Maybe there's one or two folks, but probably not. Right. Uh, generally, um, the so uh, big hero of my regular listeners will know big hero of mine mm-hmm. is Hillary Clinton. Okay. Right. Yeah. And most people know Hillary Clinton from her uh, professional Political life. Yeah. Right? What's Hillary Clinton's profession? Politician. <laughs> is that what you think? I think. Look so. at the entirety of her career. <laughs> but maybe she spent more time in nonprofit. She's a nonprofit yeah. professional. Yeah. Interesting. She started yeah. Vital Voices. She worked at oh, yeah. Child uh, Children's Defense Fund. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, with the Marion Edelman Wright. Right. Yeah. Um, she started. Uh, she now runs a nonprofit called Onward Together. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah. She was heavily involved in the Clinton Foundation, which that that of one course. people obviously know about, right? Yeah. And these are actually, and, and obviously there's some, there's probably no one listening to this podcast would disagree with me, but there's mm-hmm. people out there who would say, well, these are corrupt institutions. Sure. Well, actually, they just the, the, a Trump-led investigation into Clinton Foundation couldn't uh-huh. find anything. Yeah. Right. So these are actually Sterling-run nonprofits. One of the sure. reasons she is my hero is because she's run very, very good yeah, nonprofits, and that she is one of the few people who were able to like become a famous person. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> like translate that career and into can, something. Right. And yeah. and, 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 and not nothing is she was when Bill when. She had a very successful nonprofit career that was helpful for making Bill famous exactly. too. Yeah, yeah. Right, this was a big part of why they were the Clintons became the machine that they were Power, because of her helpful. career mm-hmm. in nonprofits, which includes fundraising skills, public uh-huh. speaking skills, all this. And yes, you can go and then have a you can turn that into a political career for sure. Yeah, um, and I'd love to see right the a lot more of that. Yeah. Right, you could. Uh, are you a resident of the district? I am. I am a so property you owner you can in run, the district of Columbia. Nothing you can so. really run for. Is there any chance in your ward too? Because we do have an opening. Oh, in I'm, I'm in ward five actually, oh, and right. my husband actually ran for and won our neighborhood commissioner, like ANC. He's an ANC. He was, yeah, in 2016 Terrific. when we were living in Adams Morgan. So I saw that, that, and honestly, it was just like Parks and Rec. Like that's what it looks like from. Oh, my the I know a few ANCs. It yeah. can be pretty serious, especially if there's a like once if the, the developers are interested in. Yeah, yeah. And you're the ANC. Exactly. Like, and we were in Adams Morgan, which was like so a, much contested development. Uh, well, no, and they, so. a friend of mine said that they just, they, they tried to bribe them and they were wow. so like upfront <laughs> about it. They were like, this, there's, this is no strings attached. They like, yeah. they think that as long as they say there's no strings attached, that it's not a bribe. Yeah. But they were basically saying, we want to contribute to the like neighborhood fund. Yeah. Right. In oh, and also. for passing this proposal or no, whatever. No, they, right? they say like, like, oh, and by the way, this has nothing to do with the proposal. We're separately. <laughs> Huh. They act. They out. Wow. They, 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 they believe that if they're clear that it's not. Yeah. Right? Um, no. The, it, mm. it is free aging. You should, uh, if you're a resident of the district, yeah. you should know your ANC. Yeah. This person's probably like the only representative you have. <laughs> it's the who most can local actually form make, of government. Exactly. Who can actually do something that might affect your life? Yeah. Right. The, yeah. You don't have a senator. You can call if you live here. Or yeah. Whatever. Yeah. You sh- why um, why don't why aren't you the ANC? No, it's a good question. I, I honestly have thought about it over the years. Like 
um, I have a ton of respect for, yeah, local politics. But I think at the end of the day, because of like my background, because of my interests, my identity, I've always been more attracted to kind of international politics, right? And trying to play a role as someone with this background, you know, as an Egyptian American, as a Muslim American, like, and growing up, honestly, post 9-11, like, I felt like all of these headlines were arguing that my identities were in conflict when actually I don't think that they are right so I felt like okay I have a unique Your, voice to yes. add to these to these conversations of international affairs and I'm still trying to do that you know in, in my capacity here at Open Gov Hub um, but now the cool opportunity I think that we have right now is to bring to to flip the script instead of America telling the rest of the world this is what a perfect democracy looks like all of us recognizing that democracy always needs defending, it always needs work. So actually now we're you know making some effort to bring international activists here to, to help us as Americans learn mm. about what were your struggles with democracy because we are you know we're facing some real challenges we've never yes. seen before. So I have, um, I have I just have a ton of passion for that yes. kind of like peer learning across countries. It's yeah. worth mentioning that when I placed uh, fellows with you at POMED, yes. that the, most of the funding came from, you had to, the way it works at Atlas Core is that uh, some of the cost share came from, from POMED, but yep. on that uh, placement, we had um, quite a bit of funding from an organization called the National Endowment for Democracy. Yes. who was our main funder of my job and my program at the time, too. They were also yes. funding yep. they POMED. Were the funder. It's a very large funder of anybody trying to do yep. democracy work abroad. Exactly. Yeah. I would call it one of the more hypocritical things going on in the U.S. government. <laughs> yeah. Uh, especially now, I actually probably would have called it that ten years sure. ago. But like, and it was now it's just founded like, under what? Reagan. No, How it's true. Dare you? <laughs> We've always kind of had this what is double the, speak what's the going mission on. of the National Endowment? But I think I mean I think at the end of the day, just the work, for the for folks at home who might not have any yeah, idea yeah. what it it's is, it's basically to fund uh, civil society activists that are fighting for democracy in other countries, right? But it is a quasi government entity because the National Endowment for Democracy gets its funding from Congress, yes. it's congressionally mandated, but it has an independent board. So it's kind of. Uh, you know, it's it's apolitical, but it, it can't really go in major conflict, I would say, with any, you know, main U.S. policies. So it's always but walking the, this but tricky it, line. But it's a, a yeah. large appropriation yeah. uh, that gets that comes from and it gets has to get repassed. By exactly. Congress. By and, Congress. It all, yeah. and it always does, largely because the U.S. Chamber of Commerce likes it very much. Yeah. Interesting. Um, yeah. The, so the U.S. because if we're spreading democracy abroad, that makes it easier to do business abroad. Yep. Right. And so the yep. uh, otherwise, I think you'd see a lot of. Republican opposition to this very sure. large opposition, uh, which makes it for a very interesting just whole kettle of fish, right? Exactly. So the the, the this, whole like, democracy Republican world. supported. Yes. It, yeah. they, they vote. Everybody votes for this yeah. large and amount his, of money. Historically, it always has bipartisan support. <laughs> Two billion, three billion dollars. Yeah. yeah. Right. Think so of people to, like John McCain, for example. He was one oh, yeah. of the most vocal advocates during the Arab Spring, and so I think there's an opportunity actually, whenever you see bipartisan agreement, to do something good. But mm -hmm. it's true. We don't want to be hypocritical, right? Like we, it's, it's basically yeah. saying we're spreading. We it, more or less the assumption Our is we're, we know we, we figured it out, yeah. <laughs> and you're all burgeoning, right? They use the word burgeoning a lot. <laughs> sure. Right? Um, and let me say, I had like I had a very <laughs> real personal experience with this when I was in my uh, working at POMED, right? Because we we had partners in places like Egypt and Tunisia and Libya in 2011, 12, and 13. Literally, you know, I was working with these activists who are trying to figure out what happens after we topple a dictator. Like this is like real stuff, right? Political transformation. And I just I felt very humbled by the whole experience because sometimes they would ask me like what do your watchdog organizations look like because we want to learn from you so we can you know do our work as best as possible and i just felt a little bit ashamed because even back then you know congress was historically dysfunctional all we could do was rename post offices and not actually make progress on the most important social issues here and our polarization has gotten 10 times worse i think in the last you know seven eight years so i, I do think there's a way that you can absolutely share lessons so that people don't have to reinvent the wheel but if but with humility and with recognizing that nobody has a perfect model that should just be exported like that's definitely an important part of my philosophy around democracy i think it's like a you know i think it's a fundamental desire for people all around the world in different cultures but everybody has to figure out their own path hopefully with support from others so mm. yeah. uh so uh one of the so i'm now the founder of my organization yeah and this is the um longest i've ever been in the same job cool me too, um, actually, in my job, yeah, almost so the, five years. The, um, <laughs> yeah. ma managing director is your uh, director of Open Gov. Yep. Just, there's just no good, just good old director. director. Yep. <laughs> All right, that's good. I always thought man managing director always makes it seem like there's your second to someone. Yeah, that's right. Um, but actually, in, it's not it's not always actually the case. Sometimes the manager director is top dog. Right. It seems it's like a he's. Yeah. Um, the, any that's a, a, another part of the reason why 
<laughs> uh, like the general public doesn't necessarily understand our sector because yes. the, the person at the top doesn't always have the same I know, title. We, yeah. Right? An executive director sounds doesn't sound powerful at all. <laughs> um, yeah. The, we could just do a whole. We could use with a whole rebrand. I think mm-hmm. of a lot of uh, the nonprofit sector, but. It's it's important. And and let me say, too, based on our earlier conversation, like even though it's hard to explain what we do sometimes to people who are not in our field, like I do think we shouldn't suffer from this inferiority complex that just because, you know. um, You think I have an inferiority complex? (laughs) I feel like I have one sometimes. This is a new one for me. No one's ever accused me of that. Honestly, I'm speaking to myself like as a reminder. (laughs) No, you're right. It's not a personal issue for me. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> Even though people don't always think it's the most prestigious path or whatever, like I totally, you know, felt like I had to get validation by going to Harvard, for example, and legitimizing again that I can have this and mentioning on a podcast career. that you went to Harvard, I know. <laughs> which I almost, I honestly like I know never you do, went there, right? but like anyway, that's embarrassing. But no, but really, the point I think is that like, um, you know, at the end of the day, we again we have to like hold ourselves to the standard that we expect, right, and hold ourselves accountable to what does it mean to have impact in this field, and how can we support each other to keep keep improving and understanding not just like pat ourselves on the back that like okay we have a good noble mission so we don't need to challenge ourselves but i'm really motivated by this idea like we don't just do good we do good well and so how Mm -hmm. that's that was my introduction to social entrepreneurship and that's why i feel so passionately about bringing tools of social entrepreneurship especially to civic engagement and democracy organizations it's a very important point that you do get i mean you get rewards from doing this work that you that you really can't get in other fields Uh, I'm sure that other fields have you other know, types re- of rewards, have yeah. rewards and stuff. <laughs> yeah, but like the, if you're the kind of like like me, I'm um, a very curious person, mm-hmm. uh, and particularly like whenever I see problems, I'm very curious about them. Yeah. Uh, and so because of that, um, that, I think this is the perfect sector for me to work in. Right. As in my job, I get to learn about all the problems. I know pretty much everything about all of the problems, right? And, yeah. and um, a little bit about uh, what folks are doing to solve them and all yeah. that. Uh, and, it's, and I find the work very rewarding. And like um, I think one of the things that was hardest for me at Atlas Core was like, yes, it's very rewarding yeah. right, seeing these fellows placed and all that, um, but not in any kind. There's no validation from it. Yeah, no exactly. one ever congratulated me for placing a fellow. <laughs> yeah. Um, or like, and in fact, oftentimes the fellows themselves right. did not. Uh, I remember one time it was a little bit of a, a language barrier. Okay. But I was trying to explain to a fellow who speaking just good enough. He should have understood this. <laughs> that I was the one who had placed him. Yeah. He yeah. had just arrived in the U.S. and I was trying to explain to yeah, him. Like you know, you that, found. His and he fundamentally story. didn't understand. He it was in one ear. I remember it was one of the weirdest oh. conversations I ever had because I kept saying like I play. I'm and he just kept saying no. I'm serving. He just kept naming the host oh, organization. I see. Okay. Because he thought that they had done all the. They identified him. Right when you were behind the scenes, actually, like yeah, putting I in did all a the ton work of work. To make it <laughs> he thinks know, that they just saw a catalog, yeah. right? And like. Right and found no, them no, work. I know. Placing a fellow is a ton of work, yeah. right? And and, yeah. um, and a lot of them were very, very grateful. Yeah. And I wasn't supposed to accept gifts, but I took them all yeah. the time, right? Because they weren't paying right. me enough to not accept gifts. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's a problem we can talk about in a future episode. Someone yeah. arrives uh, right off the plane from Africa and uh-huh. wants to give me something. I'm not going to. Refuse. Yeah, I'm not yeah. Going no, to of course, it. yeah, yeah. And again, and also they weren't paying. These weren't like. Yeah. very very valuable gifts yeah. <laughs> and right you know yeah. the, but, um, but the, yeah. the hard thing for me was like the, that this is very validating for me right i enjoy and i still like i when i see that the natlas uh-huh. fellow gets placed somewhere and i know that i made it that's for me very very good yeah yeah right but it does not come from other people in the I sector know. yeah and if that if you're a the kind of person that needs external validation i know you will yeah. have a very hard time i know yeah. and that's i don't think it has to be that way but it is it it's is true. how it currently is yeah. but but at least for other people hopefully you know listeners and like people like us who are trying to improve the, the nonprofit sector i think it's important this is an important reminder that to ask ourselves what can we do in our organizations to provide more of that validation amongst staff you know amongst supervisors and uh and and direct reports like there's even if we're not getting it at a societal level like maybe there's still things that we can do with our partners and inside our own organizations mm-hmm. to make sure that yeah people's people's hard work is acknowledged it's rewarded and so we don't have this terrible burnout crisis that is so dominant right well, the, for nonprofits. The, the huge problem on that is yeah. this when managers assume that that that, that, that they know about that validation that, yeah. you, that you can get right and they see and they will with me this has happened to me personally dave is very happy placing these fellows uh-huh. we don't have to give him pr- so promotion we don't have to no, give him yeah. a pay raise we don't have that's to do the any problem. of these stuff. Yeah, that doesn't right? work. Yeah. Uh, and and they don't have it's not like they're swimming in money. Right. So the when there's like, well, we you know, he's enjoys his job, so we probably don't need to give him a pay raise to keep him here. Yeah, right? no, I think that's they're making that decision constantly. Yeah. Right. And that and that keeps the salary levels low. Right. Right. So that even so when he does finally get frustrated and leave, or mm-hmm. more likely she, 
Um, yeah. The I've I found at least in DC, it's it's mostly women who work at yeah. nonprofits. Yeah. Uh, I have never seen. I don't know if I've seen actual numbers on it. Yeah. I assume you probably have here at the hub. Is it yeah. Women? I mean, I, I would say it's maybe sixty forty. Yeah, maybe. But when I, I was at Alice Square, so Scott, the founder, was a yeah. was is a man. Yep. But he was living in Tired Mexico, also. and yeah. uh, there were eleven women in the office. Yeah. Of yeah. Me. Yeah, which is actually, which is quite difficult. Right. Um, no, I think, I think there are definitely I think it's are hard some... to be a woman in the workplace, but it's 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 hard to be the only one of what of anything right. in anywhere. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> but I, I do think this is a generalization, obviously. But generally speaking, right? I think women are socialized to be more of the helpers, who often are willing to tolerate work without acknowledgement or like put in more personal yes. sacrifice for the sake of the greater good. I'm some I struggle with that myself too, like having good boundaries and making sure that like the difficulties I'm not... of being the only man in the office yeah. were are yeah. very hard to describe, and yeah. they're very rarely what people like assume. <laughs> a lot of it was that there was that a sure. lot of these were a lot of these were not women with large personalities sure yep um and i have one <laughs> um yeah. and that yeah and, which is fine and yeah, they and they, they they had chosen a service role and they really really liked helping and lots right. of times they would be you know maybe helping me on something that wasn't necessarily their job because yeah that was just the sort of the dynamic there and i seemed like i needed the sure. help probably <laughs> right and i'm sure yeah. that i did yeah, but, but but this is but this is a good point because like something I would tell my twenty year old self, you know, who was just about to start her career in the nonprofit sector, is like remember like there's a way to be a helper and to have a positive social impact in the world without burning yourself out and mm -hmm. without like you know making such a tremendous personal sacrifice. It, it I, I think I had to learn the hard way, you know, when I started to feel some really uh, negative consequences on my health, on my relationships, mm -hmm. to be like, wait a minute, even if this is the most noble mission in the world. I'm actually draining myself. Like I'm, I'm doing a disservice to the cause and a disservice to myself if I'm not having healthy work-life balance and all this kind of stuff, right? So I, I've come a long way in my own understanding of that. And now I try to like remind people who are just starting their career, like mm. absolutely you can be super passionate about your mission and you should be, but think about like, what do you need to sustain yourself for a long, healthy career? Not one of like intense work and then burnout and then intense work. There's a... Yeah. Um narrative in dc yeah. and, and and particularly in dc but you know in the u.s and it comes largely from uh protestantism mm -hmm. the protestant work, work ethic, ethic yeah, yeah. which brought us <laughs> capitalism and all that and my father is uh, is a protestant he's a methodist mm -hmm. uh and uh, so i think i picked up some, some yeah. protestantism particularly <laughs> particularly when it comes around the like value of work i do yeah, yeah. think work has a tremendous amount of value inherently yeah. and that you should become good at the the work that you do right and that there's like sanctification and grace in that and yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's a big part of uh, why I do um, what I do mm -hmm. um, but like it did it, I think the, a corrupted version of that is the like I work 100 hours a week and right. there's a ton of value in that yeah exactly right yeah. Uh, and so <coughs> first of all there's like a lot of evidence that shows that you're like probably not a very good worker if you work that much in yeah. a week uh, the, exactly the, the your quality, productivity the is quality goes down yeah. drastically near yeah. the end um, but how many hours a week do you work as the director that's a of good the question yeah yeah I, I really try to to be disciplined about myself, I would say on average like forty-five to fifty. Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to trying to keep it keep it in in line with like. And by work, is, you uh, what is normal. work? What is work? Honestly, these days, like in my position running the hub, I um I spend a ton of time meeting with people, right? So I, I think a lot of in a lot of ways, my a big part of my job is managing relationships. Okay, so we have you know fifty organizations who are uh, part of our network. It's over three hundred people. So I manage relationships with our members, with outside partners who want to get involved with us or support our members in some way. So yeah, I would say a lot of my work is very relational, which which I love. Like I I'm someone who's energized by spending time with other people and having conversations. But a lot of the work yeah. is, I find um, difficult to. Um, qualify and quantify sometimes yeah. I can't I couldn't possibly tell you how many hours a week I work yeah um, I can tell you so I don't I do know um, so I, I follow a um, uh, the, what was the name of that Frank there was Franklin Covey is a yeah. system of time management okay uh, I took a seminar I like a very very long this. time okay. ago yeah. <laughs> right and well, one of the things they talk about is the, the, the four quadrants of work right okay. and it's basically uh, it has to do with whether it's important or urgent right? yes so quadrant one is urgent and important, important work yeah. right uh, and then there's 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 work that is urgent but not important. Mm -hmm. right? That's mm -hmm. the shittiest stuff that we ever yeah. do. Uh, and then there's stuff that's important but not urgent. And then there's non non. And like one of the things that's difficult yeah. in the modern workplace is a lot of times people never do stuff that's not urgent and not important. Yes. And it sounds like well why would we do it? It's not it's not urgent or not important. Well, <laughs> well like we were, earlier we were so someone getting their PhD expanding the yes. that's never urgent or 
and sometimes it's not important. <laughs> yeah, interesting. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah it depends on how you look at it. Yep. Um, uh, and uh, and you know we discovered plastic by accident, right? The, and it was someone just sort of doodling yeah, around. We discovered vaccines by if accident. If that guy yeah. had an inbox that he was crushed by, right? Maybe he never. Yes. Maybe we never get into that quarter four work, right? That's so true. I spend no more than thirty hours a week doing quarter one work. It's Got very it. clearly defined as like me at my mm-hmm. uh, computer, yep. uh, writing, doing emails, working in spreadsheets. Other than that, nothing more than um, thirty yeah. hours in a week. That's I think it's possible I work a hundred hours a week. Yeah. And it's very. I couldn't even wow. like. So I I would I, a lot of people would probably push back on me right mm-hmm. but like I was uh, playing video games mm-hmm. yesterday mm-hmm. Uh, and simultaneously mm-hmm. uh, thinking about a report I have to write right and when I finished I, I finished playing video games for about an hour uh-huh. uh, and then I went and I wrote the report in about five minutes wow yeah, yeah. because I was ready to write it because yeah. I had been thinking about them while. Uh, and I would argue that I was working that yeah. entire time. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. No, it's. <laughs> and I'm a the of... founder, so there's no one to like <laughs> right, fire to me over to, making yeah, yeah. that argument, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but but like when I had bosses and stuff, there was I had it was very it was uh, yeah. um, I did I probably did about seventy to eighty hours of quarter one wow. work a week, and wow. that was not a like long term. I was yeah, younger. Yeah, that's not sustainable. I know exactly, and you have less obligations. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. If I, um, <laughs> I've also become better at working. Yes, I'm much exactly. less likely to waste time on something. Right, and and when like one lesson I definitely learned in the last five, six years is to sync your schedule up with your natural energy cycles, Mm. right? So most people want to fall asleep right after you eat lunch. Do not save the big, heavy thinking work to right after lunch, right? Save the email, save the kind of tedium to like the two to 3 p.m. slot, for example. Or like, I know that, yeah, like if I can block out an hour and a half in my morning for the most important thing I have to do, especially if it requires deep thinking, then the rest of my day is going to be productive because Mm -hmm. I just aligned the most important work with when I have the highest energy compared to there's going to be a natural lull in my energy every day. So let me save the less, uh, you know, the more tedious stuff to that point. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yes, absolutely. As opposed to like some, you know, uh, getting a bunch of Red Bulls and pulling them all night. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. You know, I've learned that like if I'm doing my work at the correct time, in the yes. correct circumstances, I'll and in do the right it, environment, I'll yep. do it much, much, much faster than yeah. um, and better than, than in the wrong environment. Yeah, uh, and well, uh, that is something that I think this sector can afford to offer to its employees. They right. don't always, and that um, that's one of the neat things about as opposed to some of the other like nonprofit office spaces I've been in. Mm-hmm. Uh, the hub is pretty neat. Cool. Uh, before I um, came to here, I was in two other co-working spaces. Yes. One uh, has closed down. It was called The Lookout. Yep. It was over in Adams Morgan. Uh, and it was, and I would say it is an actual co-working space. Yeah. The thing that it has in common with the hub is that there is um, uh, uh, some homogeneity over what the um, kind of like a theme or something. A theme for to the office. Okay. These are all open government is the theme right. there. The theme over there was creating video. We cool. were all somewhat involved, in, so people were either photographers, videographers, editors, nice. uh, producers, like a community for creatives. And because it. they're yeah. in the same space, that meant that there were similar things. There were shared resources, so we had an editing suite. Yes. Right, that was useful to everybody in there, and there was an, a place to store gear, yep. which made it so that you could borrow gear from each other. Yep. Right. Also, anybody who creates video needs to hire other people to do it. The people yeah, were there exactly. in the space and all that, and it made perfect right. sense. Which right? is the same premise here, right? That we have similar needs and we have expertise that each other can benefit from. So, yeah. Exactly. I also said that one of the things that's uh, in video, right? There's like you might you might be involved in three or four different production companies, mm-hmm. right? You might be a you're a you're I'm a, a cinematographer okay. at this production company right but i also have my own yeah thing like for when i get hired or, freelance yeah. or whatever and this and that and that's good yeah right and i think the the sort of the non-profit version of it every yeah. sector is gonna have its unique version of that right so in fact doctors are like i'm a member of this practice this practice and this practice right. and on the and board certified here in this and, and, this, and they that's not and part they have of their, professional associations when you ask them what they do that's not part of that's usually not part yeah, of the yeah. answer right yeah. <laughs> <laughs> unless another doctor were to exactly to well, yeah yeah right uh and so but the uh, one, one of the things i've noticed particularly since i was here yeah uh, is there is it's a, a um, everybody's pretty close right mm-hmm. so on front of, on front of the list we are a we're a five hundred one c three yep. we fiscally sponsor no one there's no projects of us we are not yeah. a project of anyone else yep. right but the, many of the folks here uh, so I learned um, mm-hmm. the uh, so uh, core, uh, core, co- core collaborating for resilience yeah. Yeah, the, so they, they get 80% of their funding from an, another organization, which is where Blake used to work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like they, they are, they're a fiscally sponsored project of a, uh, yeah, of, I forget who their fiscal sponsor is, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and so, but like on, but it's the, they're, 
you would be um, excused for thinking that they're two separate organizations. Sure. Uh, they've made separate websites and all that, right? And yeah. so, but then this is OpenGovHub, uh -huh. which is a project of global, global integrity, integrity. Exactly. Uh -huh. Which and global integrity is in some ways affiliated with some other with some other. There's uh, some sort of affiliation with Development Gateway and yes. Capital Lab uh, with Development Gateway. Yeah. So so officially, what happened was. Back in 2012, the former head of Global Integrity, Nathaniel Heller, was he was kind of the lead visionary of OpenGovHub. So he said, hey, I want to start this crazy initiative. You know, back seven years ago, co-working was not common. This was a pretty, pretty crazy idea. And then he approached Development Gateway with the idea, and they said, we want to be partners. So um, so Global Integrity and Development Gateway co-manage the OpenGovHub. They're, the, they're legally and fiduciarily responsible for the hub. But the hub almost acts like a fiscally sponsored project of them because it it uh on a day-to-day -day basis it operates pretty autonomously um you know we yeah and and so our operations kind of um are a little bit separate and, then, yeah. and our neighbor is global giving yes which is like it, is it they are separate but not they're not that they're separate, separate but they're friends of the organization <laughs> exactly i noticed they have the same furniture yeah yeah because because we, we basically moved into this space together so global the founders of global giving and, like the founders feed, of the Hub. and feedback labs which is here has the same founder as global yes giving, right? so feedback labs is the best example of a, a joint venture like a really in-depth collaboration to come out of the open gov hub community actually so there was like eight founding organizations of feedback labs who were all part of the open gov hub um so it's it's you know there's different creative structures that you can have but i think at the end of the day we're talking about networks um of, of mm -hmm. collaboration and and there's and and I, actually i think fiscally they, sponsored projects are becoming more common because so many nonprofits just want to focus on the programs and the impact without the back office stuff right the finance financial management administration so there's these these organizations like tides for example yeah, will wanna... fiscally sponsor all you know you probably have a lot of thoughts on this I have topic, many opinions which is fine there's some uh, it's there's just some something other, i've noticed other episodes here. where i've been able to share yeah, yeah. you know you're correct yeah. we I, I in general i think yeah. it's not that hard to get your own 501c3 and most people yeah. should do it if you're saying we're going to do this because it would be easier and I don't like paperwork. That's really, that's bad, a very, yeah, very bad reason to do like, anything. Yeah, that seems like, yeah, exactly, right? yeah. No, and, and also, Short -sighted, for, yeah. when I think, if I put my funder hat on for a moment, I'm mm -hmm. like, this person didn't even, like, couldn't didn't be bothered to through. do. Yeah, no, you have to, it's true. You have to ask <laughs> questions for what what is a good reason to, to, to yeah. be fiscally sponsored or not. Uh, or to have any kind, kind of there, structure, there including hybrid stuff. Some systems, yeah. so if you're just yeah. doing, if you're doing a, an artistic installation that's only going to be up for three sure. months, right? That, exactly, that, yeah. that It would take you longer to get the status than, than to do that. So there's, there, are, there are times yeah. where it makes sense and all that yeah and not everybody needs to start a new thing sometimes it makes sense to be an initiative of a new existing program take care of the, exactly right? yeah. but like that it, it does seem very common there's just like well this looks that paperwork looks difficult yeah no and that's, I don't that's do not it. a good reason of course yeah <laughs> but i will say but there i think there are definitely efficiencies kind of a kind of oh, yes. scale that you can have with shared back office services and which the, is something we're looking yes. at here at open government and the those the i think it's no coincidence that yeah. there are all those collaborations we just discussed have all happened here because yeah. we're physically close to each other right yep. and we and you know i don't we are on the list is its own thing but we mm -hmm. have we many of the folks here do evaluate for us yes uh, you speak proposals. at our summits and everything it's yes. been very very even though i uh, i don't um i'm very loud and like you a lot of my work is meetings yeah uh, I do my Q1 stuff uh -huh. uh, sometimes here. Uh -huh. Bills I do here. Okay. I come in once a month to do bills <laughs> yep. and I sort all my checks and everything. Sure. Um, but I, I, you know, usually emails at the coffee shop or whatever. Yeah, but the rest yeah. of my work is is noisy, like what we're doing right sure, now. Meetings, and okay. we've and we are as far away from the other desks as we could be, yeah. right? So I'm not bothering them. Sure. This actually had, was an issue at all of the other co work any office I was ever in. Uh -huh, right? uh -huh. Once I get on the phone, my laugh is very loud. Everything's sure. very very loud. It bothers everybody. Yeah. Right? And I don't want to have to tone it down because yeah, I'm yeah. sale. I'm doing sales. I'm trying to be yeah, yeah. Uh, exuberant. exuberant and all that, right? <laughs> yeah. um, right. And then um, and the, temporarily, my solution was to like use the like phone booths or whatever, mm -hmm. but then like now you're only supposed to be in there for 30 minutes and all that. So anyway, in between the lookout and here, I yes. was in the, I was at WeWork, yes. which they call a co-working space, yep. but I, there's an absolutely no, none of that connection that we were Physical talking about. Physical co-working, because it's private office. I've been, yeah. so I, I was, uh, I had an office at uh, the WeWork White House and then WeWork Manhattan Laundry, but I've been yeah. in like, you know, one of the neat things about being a WeWork member is that wherever you go, there's WeWorks. So I've been in WeWorks in Los Angeles. Yeah. Uh, and New York and Boston and um, mm -hmm. and and all over, right? And that's and that's pretty neat, right? Mm -hmm. But like, it a little the you know the way they find out if you're a fit for the WeWork community mm -hmm. is like, can you afford a desk here? Sure, <laughs> it's just that one thing, right? Yeah, that, that that's it. Yeah. Um, and like I remember, you know, the it seemed like a good idea for me to move over there because I'm like, mm -hmm. well, you know, it's 
startup focused. All their sure. branding was about how they were startup yes. focused. Uh-huh. Right? But while I was there, the entire focus of the sales team was not on startups. It was on bringing in really large yeah. companies. Enterprise clients. Yeah, yeah enterprise uh-huh. clients. Yeah. Yeah, the yeah. HP moved in across from me at the yeah. WeWork White House. And I said, all right, well, maybe this is the WeWork White House. This is a fancy location. Sure. Maybe this isn't the right one for me. I'll go to like the hipster location. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> that literally has Manhattan in its name, like we yeah. talked about. <laughs> well, and, then, and I was there and it was a little bit like more of a fit for us. And there were some sure. nonprofits there. Sure. But like I, most of the nonprofits were there because they, they were given free space as a part of something and they right. would move out, out right after they got right after the free space ended. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so there wasn't a whole lot of like community building yeah, uh, happening. Yeah. And then a bank moved in right across well, the it was a, just a bank got a side office. Okay. Right? I'm just like, I know, yeah, this yeah. isn't what I <laughs> expected, right? Yeah. Or what you and signed it's up not, for. And it's not what they told me when, when they were yeah, you know, selling yeah. me the thing and it yeah. wasn't particularly useful for me. And it is, it's, it was full price. Yeah. Um, the, uh, I mean, even with the the discount that I think I got, and they did, I remember like halfway through it, they, I was getting a nonprofit discount and they just like arbitrary, they got rid of it. One day my bill was higher without even telling telling me. That's not cool. They don't, I mean, once you got (laughs) signed up, they really, it was just about like getting more and new and whatever. And that all came out eventually during the IPO. I mean, you, the writing was on the wall pretty clearly. Right. Uh, it was really trying to do enterprise clients and like just getting new people in. Also the, like, one of the things that I, I, I was in at least 30 different WeWorks. Yeah. Um, the service staff who cleans is uh-huh. always people of color. Uh-huh. The front desk staff is always white folks. Always. That's a problem. I, yeah, yeah. And I, I and it's not a coincidence. Once, twice, three times. Yeah, if you've been around <laughs> for a while. No, it, no, it's yeah. But and and I have to say, like in the last couple months, of course, with all the headlines about WeWork and the failed IPO, you know, a good number of people have asked me, like, oh, what do you think about this? As someone who's been in this co-working industry for a while. Well, that was when I so I moved directly yeah. from WeWork to here. Yep. Uh, and it was the the fact that they were all nonprofits was a, that mm-hmm. was a, a, a big part of it. But it was a uh, more affordable as well. Yep. Uh, and um, right there, uh, and we eventually ended up getting uh, a grant. Yeah. Uh, you guys offer a collaborative exactly. uh, grant to, for folks that want to work with yes like, each in other collaboration in this with community. Other folks. Yeah, we, exactly. We worked with SIPE, which is actually a project. Of, SIPE is the Center for International Private Enterprise, yes. which is a program of the National uh, Endowment by the National Endowment for Democracy. Democracy. Yeah, exactly. A daughter program. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. It's part of the congressional appropriation that they will be that they will be funded. Yeah, and they have a. Where are they here? Do they just hot uh, desk? They do a hot desk, yeah. So they come yeah. in, they do like retreats, for example, they attend events, that kind of stuff. But I did just uh, want to say just quickly on WeWork, it's really interesting to hear your experience in several different co-working environments. And I think for me, like the top takeaway from the whole WeWork debacle is it's a good piece of advice for any nonprofit and any startup and any business, which is don't grow too quickly. Like don't grow before you figured out your fundamentals, because I feel like they were, you know, enticing investors with this crazy vision of the future and acquiring more and more and more space with out secure, you know, having a solid business model that could confirm that we can afford everything that we're taking on as a liability. So I think it's just polar opposite from our experience, which has been really slow but steady growth um, and having a theme, some common thread that you can actually build a community upon. Because if there's really no similarity between, you know, one person and another in a co-working environment, you can talk about community all day, but it makes it so much more difficult Mm -hmm. to actually create meaningful connections and relationships if there isn't some common ground. So when we when someone wants to join OpenGovHub, we interview them and we make, you know, ask for an application to say, like, tell us how are you fitting with this theme and what would you contribute to other people and what do you need help with? Because we want it to be always a two way exchange. Uh, you know, people are benefiting from the community and they're paying it forward to the next folks. Mm-hmm. So, anyway. so the I think um, the for folks out there who are, you know, thinking of getting into social enterprise or who run a nonprofit yep. and are looking for office space. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, uh, you know, you, you try to remember all of that, that I think mm-hmm. um, we really do need to start being a lot more suspicious mm-hmm. of scaling companies yeah. that are raising large amount of investment dollars yes. because time and time again, they have yeah. turned out to be bad actors. Yeah. Um, I mean, there was, you know, everybody, uh, everybody thought Facebook was incredible. Everybody mm-hmm. thought Twitter was incredible. Everybody thought WeWork was incredible, mm-hmm. right? Until it, until long after it isn't incredible, right? Um, and they're just so eager for like the good stories, right? So like, yeah. w- any of these companies can go out and donate a small amount of money to anything, and then everybody will just talk, will, will yeah, yeah. just gush over how, and they don't even, won't even do the simple math of it. Right. Like that's less than they should be, or than they would have right. if they. Uh, so in particular, there's a, there's yeah. a, a very wealthy man who owns a um, um, a website, uh-huh. uh, <laughs> and uh, he recently donated a hundred million dollars to help the the homeless in Seattle yeah. where he lives. Yep. 
uh, he personally spent uh, about $100 million uh, lobbying against an initiative yeah. that would have raised taxes on him and provided a lot more than $100 million. Yeah, of public services to be. Yeah, exactly. So, so he, what, he object, to... what he did is objectively bad, but, yeah. we, but people are negative, right? so excited. Even, yeah. I mean, and, the, and, you know, we don't, it is a problem that, 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 that you and I can't describe mm-hmm. the, the profession that we do, right? Um, uh, that's also, that's that's a problem as well. And, right. then, and in, in general, the journalists, it's easier to just write the story about how yeah. this rich, powerful person was generous. Yeah, exactly. Right. And then, yeah. and then not write the story of us at all. Right. No, I know. I think it's really good to just have a healthy degree of skepticism when it comes to kind of corporate social responsibility and stuff. Like, of course, there's opportunity there, but we need to, at the end of the day, coming from Open GovHub, like, we need to make sure public institutions are accountable for core public services, right? So, like, even as much as the private sector can help create healthy communities mm-hmm. and societies, like, at the end of the day, I think, you know, there's a direct line of accountability between voters and governments. So let's make sure that governments are being responsive to people's needs as much as possible. And obviously it's way easier said than done, but that's like the social challenge that keeps me excited and kind of getting out of bed every morning. So, yeah. Well, that's terrific. I hope that you will continue to get out of bed every morning. <laughs> me too. Not every morning. <laughs> like most mornings. <laughs> Not on the weekends. A morning or two. <laughs> I recently got a new comforter set from Eddie Bauer for the winter. I guess it's been, and I've had it for like a week. Yeah. And it's every, it's, it's just like, I don't, I have, I have to get up out of this. I have a memory foam pillow. <laughs> Total game changer. Mm, Highly yes. recommend it. <laughs> the, and then people have been talking about the gravity blankets. I'm interested. Ooh. I'm interested in that. It's a, it's a heavier yeah, blanket. Yeah. A weighted blanket. I heard about this. I, I haven't I'm tried worried because I think then that, that might be where it's just like, when, and then we never heard. And then we, Dave, Dave never came last, in. He again. was telling me about a, a gravity blanket he was going to get. And, <laughs> and then, then I never I saw him. And then they stopped reviewing proposals over there. <laughs> yeah, we'll keep each other in check. If I don't see you for a month, I'll, I'll <laughs> check out about the blankets. So. Um, all right, thank you very cool. much. Thank you so um, much. Thank you. You are um, one of my, one of the, um, the funders for Alyssa. Thank yeah, you very much. It's fun to uh, play that, that role a little bit. And uh, You yeah. are like the, we have, um, uh, one of the cool things about this podcast is I do usually, uh, I think I've interviewed anybody who's um, who's given us over a thousand dollars. So then that's now oh, nice. officially yeah. true. Through this collaboration fund. We, it was yeah. a, a $5,000 grant that we split with Sipe. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, will really you be doing cool that stuff. again? Uh, we hope so. So we're figuring out, you know, plans for 2020. And um, but I'm hoping th- that we can do a collaboration fund again with the same idea that, like, hey, there's a lot of potential uh, collaborations that could come to life if people had just Should a little bit of resources to build their time. So that's. And are there memberships doing. available at the Open Gov Hub? Uh, we're totally full right now. You're totally but full. But this spring we expect uh, a little bit of uh, movement, hopefully. So, but yeah, we're 100% occupied and um, trying to trying to find space for more people. But of course, always love to share more information about membership with people and um, and make plans for the future. Well, congratulations on yeah. being at Thank full you. capacity. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts on expanding or perhaps finding other yeah, space in we're, town? Yeah, we're exploring it. So no, no commitments yet, but it, it could be. Well, that's very good. Bike. Yeah. Uh, so I think the, the, the idea is to have all the, to have all the desks full, right? And <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so good job and Thank good you. job with this interview. Thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, for coming in. Yeah. I hope that everybody listening enjoys it and I hope that they have success with their own fundraising efforts. Yeah, me too. Thank you Thank so you much. for joining us, Nana. Awesome. Thanks, Dave.